Welcome to the 38th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with James Benn, author of the Billy Boyle World War II Mystery Series. Well, this is uh, Jeffrey Deaver, author of, uh, most recently, The Burning Wire, and uh, soon to be author of the next continuation James Bond novel. I spend a lot of time writing, a lot of time researching my books, um, but uh, when I'm not doing that, I, I love uh, listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast, which you can hear at readingandwritingpodcast.com. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is James Ben, author of the Billy Boyle World War II mystery series. Ben's latest novel, Rag and Bone, is available in hardback now at your local bookstore. Jim, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, if someone hasn't read one of your Billy Boyle novels, can you describe what they can expect with your latest book, Rag and Bone? Well, I could say that, uh, as Publishers Weekly said in their starred review, it's uh, superb and stellar, but um, uh, it's really a story uh, about, um, as they all are, about true historical occurrences during World War II told from a fictional point of view. So my character, Billy Boyle, is a, a military detective. Uh, and in Rag and Bone, uh, he is sent to London uh, to investigate the death of a Soviet official uh, from the Soviet embassy uh, who was killed, who was murdered in a way um, similar to how thousands of Polish officers were executed by the Soviets in a Caton Forest, uh, what became known as the Caton Forest Massacre. Uh, so Billy goes to London, and he's forced to investigate a murder that brings up uh, an issue that's very divisive among the Allies, because the Soviets are providing you know, 99% of the manpower that's fighting the Germans, and uh, Churchill and Roosevelt are reluctant to label them as um, uh, killers uh, in the way they, uh, they label the Nazis, uh, justifiably so, because uh, mass murderers. Uh, so... His investigation comes up against the political realities and hardball of, of a nation of war, and that's what um, provides the uh, the conflict for him as he goes through that investigation. Great. Well, well as you mentioned, the, the Billy Boyle novels uh, are, are mysteries set during World War II. In the last 15 or 20 years, mystery novels set in specific historical periods or unique settings have become very popular. When, when you first started thinking about the Billy Boyle novels, did you know that you wanted to write a mystery novel, or did you originally think that you'd like to write a novel set during World War II and the mystery kind of element came later? What was that process like originally for you? Well, for, for me, it was uh, mostly wanting to do a, a thriller type. You know, I'm a big fan of the early Jack Higgins stuff, and, and that's what I at first thought uh, I was going to try my hand at. And then I actually did some real research, and not exactly a business plan, but uh, researched what was selling, what genres were selling, and I came across a comment that historical mysteries were the fastest-growing uh, genre of mysteries. And I thought, well, you know, it wouldn't be hard to change this into a mystery from a thriller, and then that gets into the whole uh, idea of a series. Uh, and that worked out well because I had written uh, two manuscripts uh, before I was signed by a literary agent, and one of the things they said was they liked the fact that you know there were already two, and that it looked like this could develop as a series. So um, usually, it's, it's 
things happen mostly by accident, but it was maybe 50% accident and 50% planning in this case. Right. Well, Billy Boyle, the protagonist, is the nephew in the books of General Eisenhower. Was that connection there from the beginning, or was that a way for you to have Billy Boyle move from campaign to campaign or battle to battle in the series? That was the original thought, that as I was planning this out, I wanted to have a character that I had a lot of flexibility with in terms of moving him around uh, uh, the conflict. Uh, and the notion of um, him being sort of the ne'er-do-well nephew of uh, General Eisenhower uh, just really intrigued me, and uh, that gives him the ability to go anywhere I want him to go because I can have his uncle send him there. Um, but it also gives him access to, to the high command, and he then can meet historical figures. And, and you know, if you, if you accept the notion that uh, he's related to Eisenhower, then everything else falls into place. Right, right. Well, obviously, you've done a lot of research about World War II for these novels. Are there particular battles or World War II incidents that you think don't get as much attention in people's minds these days as, say, the D-Day invasion or other iconic battles? You know, that's exactly what I'm finding, even in my own um, uh, knowledge about the war. I thought I knew a lot. And one of the things that I didn't know uh, was how much time elapsed from Eisenhower being sent over in 1942 to his assuming command, overall command, to plan the invasion. Uh, he actually spent more time in the Mediterranean theater than he did uh, in England. Um, so that's why a lot of the books now are, uh, have been set in Italy or start with Billy in Italy or in uh, North Africa and being sent uh, back north because uh, he does have to follow Eisenhower. That is the the, well, not a downside, but it's one obligation I have is to uh, follow Eisenhower's path. Um, so uh, I'm learning a lot, and uh, I'm finding that there are, the more I learn, the, the more interesting small facts there are to explore about the war. Uh, the book that will come out next year uh, in September, A Mortal Terror, um, or September 2011, um, really got put together because I was just trolling around the internet uh, and found a medical study that was uh, commissioned right after World War II when an army psychiatrist wrote that uh, it was about combat fatigue. And he said, 98% uh, of all soldiers kept in combat long enough will develop severe combat fatigue. The remaining 2% will be psychopaths not as a result of the combat, but, you know, they would have entered uh, uh, combat as a psychopath and never been affected by it if they lived. And I thought that was really interesting. And what would it be like for a psychopathic killer uh, to be in the midst of a battle? And how would you tell the difference? And how could you track them down? Uh, so the, the next book uh, is going to have as its kind of theme uh, an investigation into combat fatigue and how the Army addressed it, but also... You know, how do you find a killer on a battlefield? And that'll take place uh, in Italy again, uh, in the uh, Anzio beachhead, which was uh, a landing south of Rome that didn't quite work out the way they, they had hoped. Right. That, that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that, because certainly just, you know, from a layman's perspective with, without any specialized knowledge, I, I, I would just say that, that my my gut feeling is that just the just the treatment and not even necessarily the treatment but just the discussion of uh what's now referred to as post traumatic stress disorder among 
current troops who are fighting in, in, in Afghanistan or Iraq, I mean, you, you routinely see that on the front pages and it's much more open versus this, this whole kind of generational thing of, of when the veterans came back from World War II and it was called combat fatigue. And at that point, it certainly wasn't written about on the front page of newspapers. No, no. And the Army uh, forgot all the lessons that it had learned in the First World War uh, because as that conflict advanced, and they called, they called it shell shock then, um, they actually developed a means of, of dealing with it and then promptly forgot all that. And um, in the Brigade Theater, uh, there were uh, every Army division had all sorts of medical personnel, including a dietitian on staff, but they did not have a single psychiatrist for a whole division, which could be 10,000 to 15,000 men. Uh, so they were slow to adapt, um, and it became a matter of particular unit that believed with particular um, uh, generals as to uh, how it should be viewed. Some did view it as just a consequence of battle. Others saw it as there's no such thing as combat fatigue. It's all due to poor leadership or, or poor morale. So um, it was a pretty tough time for the GIs that had, especially in Italy, uh, They'd been fighting since uh, North Africa and had gone through Sicily and then through the winter battles in the mountains in Italy, and uh, it, it was uh, pretty terrible. Wow. So I, I'm assuming with the, the, with the research that you have done that you already have a list of, of, of battles or campaigns that would be perfect for future Billy Boyle novels. Yeah, there's, there's really no shortage of ideas. Uh, there's all sorts of interesting little tidbit. So, um, yeah, there's there's plenty to go, and uh, uh, I slowed the pace of the timeline down because um, this book has done very, very well, Rag and Bone, and uh, there's a lot of interest in the series, and I don't want to get to the end of the war too fast, so it'll be a while before we get to D-Day, and and that's actually one battle that I I don't know how to address with Billy. It's such a big uh, event. Um, Exactly. I'm struggling with that. How would I insert him into that, and what would the story be? Uh, and how could you um, tell that whole story from his perspective? So, um, but I've got I've got months to go, so I'm not worried about that. Or you could always do what, what uh, Bernard Cornwall did with the the Richard Sharp books. He he's basically skipped around in time and. And and you know has written from various uh, right. uh, you know Napoleonic settings and it, it's kind of interesting. But um, what's the what what is your writing background? You you had mentioned earlier that you had written these two manuscripts <coughs> that you were interested in writing a thriller in the Jack Higgins uh, kind of style. Have you always written and always wanted to to write novels? Did you write short stories before you wrote novels? No, first of all, I'm totally intimidated by short stories. I don't know how to tell it. I can't be economical. Uh, You don't have to range around in in the narrative. Uh, So I'm really in awe of people who can write short stories. Um, Now I'm one of these people who always wanted to write a book. And I actually didn't start until the day after my 50th birthday because... um, I had realized that it had been 30 years since I first had the notion of wanting to write a book. And if I waited another 30 years, I'd be too old to do it. So <laughs> the day after, uh, I started writing. Uh, and it was really to challenge myself and see if I could plot out a book, create characters, and, and finish the task. And actually, my first book was a thriller, uh, and Billy Boyle was a 
a secondary character in it, and that never went anywhere. So uh, that's it, on the shelf or in the drawer. Uh, but after that, that that helped me create that uh, that notion of Billy as a, a military detective. That, uh, those were the first two manuscripts that uh, I got picked up. That's great. What's the what's the writing process like for you now that you ha- have written Rag and Bone is the fifth book in the series, correct? The fifth, yes. The fifth. Um, do, do you do you outline a book before you start writing the first word? Do you write more organically? What's your process like? Um, yeah, I, I don't know how to outline. I actually tried in Rag and Bone to outline because uh, I, I guess I had always uh, bought into the notion that was the right way to do it, and I just failed at it. Um, so I did outline it, and I had one of those uh, big poster uh, sticky pads, mm-hmm. and I, I filled up two of them with an outline and pasted them on my wall, and then sat down and wrote the book and totally ignored them. So uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'm just not going to outline. Uh, and I, what I do is come up with a, a theme. So there's a, a big issue I wanted to to deal with, whether it's the Cate and Forest massacre and the price of, of loyalty or. Uh, dealing with combat fatigue, and then build uh, the fictional mystery around that. Uh, and I think really the, it, it's all a matter of how your brain works. Some people organize their thoughts ahead of time. Others, like me, have to organize them in the process of writing, and we all get to the same place. Uh, and there's no right or wrong way to do that. Right. With with the success that you've achieved with your Billy Boyle novels, do you have any advice that you would offer someone who is listening who may be an aspiring writer or interested in trying to, to write and publish their own novels? Well, um, I, I was just at a, a conference where Dennis Lehane spoke, uh, and he teaches writing, and he said, you know, one of the things he ends up telling his students is just tell the damn story. That beginning writers add so much background that they never actually tell the story. And he actually didn't say damn, he said something else. But I don't say that. <laughs> um, and he gave the comparison of, you know, everybody knows how to tell a joke. You know, two guys go into a bar, this happens, that happens. And that the, the equivalent of a new writer is. Two guys walked into a bar. One of them was an accountant. His name was John Smith, and he had gone to Princeton. Well, you know, <laughs> on and on and on, you never get to the punchline. So, right. uh, th- that's one thing. Just tell the damn story. And uh, there's some excellent books that I recommend. Um, Francine Prose, who's, I mean, enough writes prose, it's a novelist, um, uh, had a terrific book out a few years ago, and I'm struggling to remember the title. Uh, the Art of Reading. No, Reading. Reading Like a Writer, uh, and it's a very thin book, but she has a chapter on the first sentence, a chapter on dialogue, uh, just fabulous stuff. And I really encourage people to read her book um, to get a sense of the, the structure of writing. Uh, I think it's, it's fabulous. Uh, so I think reading deeply and reading to understand the structure of a novel is very important if you want to write. Uh, and Unfortunately, it sometimes has the, uh, the unintended outcome of ruining uh, enjoyable reading because you're always picking it apart. Right. You have to. Same thing with watching a you know, detective show on TV. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, that's who, that's who it is, and that's why they're doing this. <laughs> right. Are there... Are, 
Right. Are there other mystery writers or even historical mystery writers that you've been reading and that you would that you would recommend that you enjoy? Well, you know, actually, another outcome of doing this is my reading tends to be mainly uh, nonfiction. Because right. I'm reading for background. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really read enough to answer that question. I'm reading a fiction. Um, because I heard Dennis Lehane, I, I just went out and got one of his books. I'd never seen his movies, but I'd never read his books. Um, so uh, unfortunately, uh, my reading is mostly nonfiction. Uh, right now, I'm reading everything I can about the Vatican and World War II. Uh, right. That's the working line. So uh, pretty uninformed uh, for a mystery writer. <laughs> that's okay. So if someone is interested in learning more about the Billy Boyle uh, novels and about you, where can they find you online? Uh, on my website, uh, jamesrben.com, or just search by the uh, name Ben or Billy Boyle. Um, and there's uh, great reviews posted on the Amazon site and uh, on Soho Press, my, my wonderful publisher as well. Great. And that's Ben, B-E-N-N, if someone's listening. So, well, again, we've been speaking with James Ben, author of the historical mystery Rag and Bone, the latest in his Billy Boyle World War II historical mystery novels. James, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.